0: Life in a Small French Village, episode 12, The Evil Eye. Monsieur Beaupier, a retired man who wore a permanent smirk on his face, considered me quite hopeless. To him, I was someone who didn't understand much of anything. Of course, that didn't surprise him any. I was a foreigner, and foreigners, as far as Monsieur Beaupier was concerned, were never very bright. How could they be? They weren't French. I knew he felt this way because each time he passed on to me some obscure bit of information, and I dared deny its truth, he would turn to his wife and mutter, a loud mutter, loud enough for me to hear it perfectly. These foreigners, they're too stupid to understand anything. And his colourless wife of few words would tisk tisk her agreement, then shake her head dolefully. When I first came to live in the village, Monsieur Beaupier was determined to pass on to me the wise details about living correctly in this rural setting. One bit of information was that he disapproved of the trees around my house. And one day he stopped me on the street to tell me they were too dense that they hid my garden. That's exactly why they are so dense and so high, I told him. I like having a private life. I don't want people peering into my garden. He shook his head dolefully. Here in this village, Only people who have something to hide have tall trees and hedges. He looked at me darkly. And all the other villagers agree with me about your trees. He often reiterated that old wives' tale about leaving doors and windows open during a storm. Doing so was an invitation to lightning to enter the house and burn the place down. I might cause the entire village to be burnt, he insisted rather angrily. He also informed me that the innocent-looking toads and salamanders I protected so fiercely were instruments of the devil and should be burnt, that owls should be nailed to barn doors to ward off the evil eye. I only annoyed M. Beaupier by sneering at such wisdom, calling them superstitions, to which he would reply that he was not a superstitious man, but there were customs to be observed. However, if you are looking for superstitions, you know where to go. He was referring to a large farm at the far village edge, a high stone house, once the residence of a prosperous farming family, with surrounding stone buildings around a broad courtyard. It was all in rather ragged shape by then, the wooden shutters were falling to bits, The windows looked as though they were no longer sturdy enough to open and close, or to keep out the slightest chill. But it was a beautiful complex of buildings nonetheless, and although I had never met the people who lived in it, an older farming couple, I knew them by reputation, and reputation said that this farmer was the local sorcerer. He performs exorcisms, Monsieur Beaupier told me. You stay away from him. He's a dangerous man, makes a pile of money, works all sorts of magic in the big barn behind the house, the one beside the old dirt road leading out to the fields. There are wax figures in there, and who knows what other horrible things, added Madame Beaupier, who usually never said a word in deference to her husband's wisdom. Naturally, I was curious about that barn, like everyone else, and about the sorcerer himself. But of course I couldn't knock on the door and ask him if the rumours were true. One thing I had noticed, though, there were often cars with licence plates, showing they were from other areas of France, parked in his courtyard. Those are his clients, said Monsieur Beaupier. They come from all over the country to demand his services. He puts spells on people and they die, or their farm animals die. He uses that back barn for strange rituals. I was, of course, intrigued, and with my dog, Jenny, trotting by my side, I began taking long walks outside the village, crossing the broad fields, returning by the lane beside that mysterious barn. But I was never witness to much of anything. "'although Jenny did eye the chickens, ducks, and bad-tempered geese "'pecking in the dirt around the barn with great interest. "'And then, one evening, as Jenny and I were passing, "'the sorcerer emerged from the barn. "'Good evening,' I said. "'Good evening,' he answered, and gave me a charming smile.' He was elderly, silver-haired, and pleasant-looking. He walked slowly, with the help of a cane. "'It's been a lovely day,' he added. "'Oh, yes, it has,' I answered. There was no other conversation. But even I knew the old tales that said, if a sorcerer addresses you, and you answer, you will die shortly after. Nonetheless, nothing of the sort happened and he had certainly been one of the friendlier people I had met in the village so far. I took the back road often after that. It was the loveliest way out of the village, and each time I passed the barn, I would look to see if the broad barn door happened to be open. And if it were, I would peek into the darkness, searching for hints of voodoo or magic or anything out of the ordinary. There was, however nothing to be seen in there in the gloom. Until one day, a cat emerged from a bit of shrubbery along the lane, raced across the road and into the yard with the pecking chickens, ducks and geese. This was too much for Jenny. Fowl she'll tolerate, but a running cat is just pure temptation. In a flash, she had run after it, and the two of them were zigzagging over the yard. Chaos broke out. All the chickens, geese and ducks panicked and began to race higgledy-piggledy and to screech wildly. Whistling or calling Jenny had no effect. The silver-haired sorcerer suddenly appeared too, and with his cane tried to ward off Jenny. It was useless. The cat raced into the barn and safety. Jenny raced after it. I had no choice but to follow her. Inside, the cat had taken refuge on a high shelf. Jenny stood staring at it and wagging her tail and barking. But she knew defeat when it looked her in the eye. I attached her to her leash and began leading her out of the barn. But before I did, I took a good look around me. In the gloom, I could see nothing but a few fowl on nests, a few sacks of grain, a heap of rusted farm implements in a corner. No wax for years, no hearts pierced with nails, no vials, no magic herbs hanging from the rafters. I apologised to the farmer. He was as relieved as I that nothing bad had happened to his cat or his birds. We shook hands and parted amiably. I did, after that, read several works on sorcery in France. One of them was the sociologist Jean-Favre Sada's experience in the Mayenne region. But as the years passed, there, as in most regions, the belief in the evil eye and the power of magic did begin to wane. It was something the older generations had believed in. Still, superstition has a firm hold on the human psyche. It's like cream in a bottle of milk. It does tend to rise to the surface. One day, I received an invitation to dine with a couple in another village. I knew the man, Michel. He, a commercial director, had once been married to a woman in our village, but they had since divorced, and he was now living with his new wife, his former young mistress. She didn't look very young now. Perhaps life with Michel was no picnic. He was a heavy drinker, a nervous man, and one whose career was close to its end. Even worse, he confided, when Eliane was out of hearing. He now felt that he had made a terrible mistake in leaving his wife and children. It was, of course, too late to do anything about it, but he wasn't a happy man. Eliane wasn't happy either, of course. The passion was behind them— daily life lacked spice, and she also had a tendency to drink far too much. Of course, it was far easier to blame something else for their dissatisfaction, and they had decided that the house they lived in, a perfectly cosy old village house, tastefully restored and filled with lovely old furniture, was at fault. The house is haunted, Eliane informed me. She couldn't sleep. She and Michelle were depressed when they spent too much time at home. They were desperate. They couldn't continue on like this. They could, of course, sell the house, I suggested. No, that was out of the question. They loved the house. It was just that it was haunted. And we know you know about these things. What things? Hauntings? Sorcery? You talked about all of that years ago. So we thought we would consult with you that you could help. Help with what? Help get rid of the evil in the house. We're at our wits end. There was no argument that I could use to persuade them that there was nothing I could do. They were quite convinced of the contrary. And so, finally, I decided to play along. Certainly it could do no harm, and if, psychologically, I could do some good. I promised to return another day with the items necessary to vanquishing evil, and they were so grateful. I, of course, felt like a fraud, a seller of snake oil. If that's what they wanted, though. A few evenings later, I showed up with a small bottle of water and a vial of salt. Holy water, holy salt, I explained. They were awed. How did you get it? Well, the water's from a church, I lied. The salt has been sprinkled with the water and purified with holy words. They nodded in innocent unison. I insisted the electricity be turned off. I wanted no electrical interference to hinder my procedure and restrict my power. Candles were lit, a good fire was made in the hearth, and as they sat watching me, I threw some salt onto the candles on the table and then into the fireplace and began mumbling a few Turkish verb conjugations that I remembered from my days living in that country and a few sentences in Hungarian, a language I had just taken up. I knew that neither Michel nor Eliane knew either Turkish or Hungarian. What are you saying? Michel asked. Incantations, I answered white-faced, they watched me. Then, that done with, I went around the room, sprinkling the water and the salt into all corners, and murmuring the same sort of nonsensical mumbo-jumbo. Need I mention that a month or two later, the happy couple contacted me again. They were so grateful. The house had changed completely. The atmosphere was lighter. A friendly spirit now occupied it. I had worked wonders. I had an incredible power. Whatever those words were that I had pronounced, I had worked a miracle.